first, I tend to work in um, from black and white. Now, when I have a reference, in my mind, I know that the color photograph is lying to me. Colors mm-hmm. might be to this or that. The contrast might be too strong. I have right. to understand that whole idea about atmosphere. So, you know, if something's turned black and I want to show uh, finesse, then I have to realize, okay, I can't just make that totally black and solid. I have to understand that yeah. things have to be a little bit of transparency. Today's podcast is brought to you by Face Value, the Sharpened Artist Academy flagship course created by me to transform the color pencil portrait artist. Have you always wanted to draw portraits in color pencil, but you need the skills and techniques to be successful? Face Value is the ultimate color pencil portrait course. This program teaches you how to draw portraits in color pencil with step-by-step instruction. We begin at the beginning. We start with learning to draw the head by abstraction. The Face Value course guides you with bite-sized exercises as well as live interaction to keep you accountable. The pre-sale for the course has already started, and enrollment will be capped at just 20 students. The Color Pencil Podcast is brought to you by UART Premium Sanded Paper. Now, I was just talking to Gary. He is a student in the Face Value course, and he tried UART Sanded Paper on the 800 grade just the other day, and I asked him what he thought about it. He said he loved it. It was the first time he's ever tried it. So you may be wondering, well, what makes it different from other sanded papers? One thing is the way that the grain is applied to the paper. There is an electrostatic charge that pulls the grain up towards the paper, and so it is applied from the bottom up. That's just one of the things that makes it different. Now, you may be wondering, well, why does that matter? Because it's an even distribution of the grain to the paper, and so you can have very fine grains like an 800 grade on the paper, a very velvety kind of touch to the paper. If you've never tried UART sanded paper before, then go over to the show notes, click on the link, and there are seven different grades to choose from. It comes in a beige and a dark, comes in sheets, pads, rolled and mounted boards. And we thank UART sanded paper for their support of the Colored Pencil Podcast. You're a colored pencil artist, and you've got just about every colored pencil that there is. Oh, except for that one. And you're wondering how this color compares to the actual pencil line that you have. Now, some colored pencil artists like to create these huge charts. I don't do that. I don't have the patience for it. Well, I've got good news if you're like me. Someone else has created these charts for you. There is a color pencil conversion and comparison chart. Thanks to KarenHallArt.com. This is a 62-page PDF booklet that you could download and you can get updates as she updates it. She just updated it with the brand new Karen Dosh Luminance colors. It's got the Derwent Lightfast pencils in there as well. How would you like 20% off? Just go to the show notes or use SharpArt20 at checkout. Welcome to Sharpened Artist, a colored pencil podcast. Weekly discussions in and around this medium that we love so much. Hey there, welcome back to the show. My name is John Middick of SharpenedArtist.com. This is the Sharpened Artist Color Pencil Podcast. I'm so excited to welcome my guest today. Her name is Susan Lyon. So I really want to just kind of dive deep and talk about some of the things that are common to every artist. And then I also want to talk to you more about teaching and and about colored pencil because you don't (laughs) use colored pencil. So... That's kind of a preview here of what we're going to be doing. But let's talk about an origin for a moment. Everybody wants to hear an origin story. Oh, my gosh. You've always been an artist, right, pretty much? Or what happened? No, I um, I, I got interested in art about my high, uh, high school senior year. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's... Yeah, it's kind of, a, I guess, a boring story a little bit. But I, um, I saw a program on Georgia O'Keeffe on, like, PBS. Okay. And my father in the 50s had gone to the Art Institute of Chicago. Um, but like, you know, he, it was, it's very difficult. It still is very difficult to like make it, you know, as a living. But, you know, in the 50s and 60s, it just was even more difficult. Um, but he always was interested in art. So 
I knew he had gone to the Art Institute. Um, and after I had seen the program on George O'Keefe, I think I had asked him to, uh, if I could go to like a Saturday class. So my senior year of high school to in, um, they have like a high school program at the Art Institute. So on Saturdays you can go. Um, oh, wow. So I remember him, you know, being able to sign up for that. But the problem with that was, I mean, it was cool. I lived in kind of a suburb of Chicago, which was called okay. Oak Park. And it was maybe about like a half hour to get into downtown to get into the museum. Oh, and, nice. Um, yeah. I mean, it was cool because you got to see behind the scenes. And if you were a student, like even a high school student, you got to go into the museum, yeah. you know, and walk around. But they didn't teach you anything. I mean, it was almost, I have to say, babysitting. You know, just like teachers probably going through the motions. Oh, here's some high school kids. <laughs> you know, let's yeah, go yeah. put them in a room and, you know, let's not really try and teach them anything. So I don't remember <laughs> coming away, but I, I mean. But it was inspiring it, though, right? Well, it was, a, been, right? it was inspiring to be in the building and it was okay. literally the first time I saw a nude model and that freaked me out. <laughs> Like I really freaked out. I was like, whoa, is going on here? Um, But so it opens your eyes. I I was probably very, um, I guess, isolated kid. So it was like opened your eyes to like the city and art and artists and artist types, you know. But that's my origin story. And then after high school, I didn't really know what I was going to do. And my dad had known a teacher from the American Academy of Art, which Mm -hmm. um, was a technical school. It was an associate's degree. And, um, and he just happened to know, I guess a guy maybe taught, uh, advertising or something at the school. Okay. And he just signed me up for it for summer classes after high school. I'd never heard of it. Um, and so that's kind of how it started. I literally did not know how to draw. In fact, it was funny. You you could go to summer school, but like, if you wanted to go full-time, you had to show a, uh, portfolio and I didn't Uh have a portfolio. So I remember like just getting art books. And just copying drawings from art books and showing up on big, you know, newsprint pads. I had no idea. And just kind of like, oh, here's my portfolio. But I mean, I think they just, you know, I, I, I you know, I don't know how I got it. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I couldn't draw at all. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. So because looking, I mean, at your work, I mean, it's just so uh, captivating. It's just, Aww. it's amazing to look at. And it. It's it's funny to hear you say that. I mean, so was your your two year degree then? Was that in illustration or? Well, you know, I'm mean? not exactly sure. Uh, oh, okay. I, mean, I, I don't. You know, I don't really know. I didn't really care about getting the degree. Okay. But my okay. father had gone to the office, and you had to pay like twenty five or fifty bucks. Yeah. And, and he just brought. He literally brought it home to me and said, "Here's your little thing." And I was like, "Okay, what does this mean? It doesn't mean anything." Um. I, you know, I think we had talked a little bit yesterday about yeah. kind of teachers who have like degrees and teachers who yeah, don't. Yeah, yeah. And well, you it's know, intimidating not- to some students sometimes, right? I mean, that somebody you know has a degree that they went to the uh, American Academy of Art or they went somewhere else, and they're just you know they feel like I'm self-taught. I, this is overwhelming. I don't know what they know. You know, it's right. this acquisition of knowledge that they feel like they'll ne- it's this mountain they'll never be able to scale. Yeah. You, you get that, right? I mean, that's, I mean, I, I, that's I, where people I, come from a lot of times. Yeah. I, it's funny that you say that. It's so funny because <laughs> people ask Scott and me advice all the time, especially young people, yeah. even older people. Like, where would you go to school? What's a good school? And, and there are some, I, you know, reputable ateliers out there. And yeah. usually those are started by students that had gone to an atelier before and they start mm-hmm. their own atelier. Um, right. But they're strict. They're very strict and they're very old school. And the kind of school I went to was not strict. It was not old school. It it really, I think, you know, I kind of alluded before, but, you know, I, mm-hmm. I don't feel like I learned that much from school. What I did learn was just being around other people, having okay. the habit of showing up every day, because yeah. I think trying to be an artist, it's so, sometimes it, it's, we are scared of failure or, you know, we're, you know, it's like, how do we yeah. improve? So right. unless you're forced to practice every day and see your self, your growth against somebody else's growth, like you guys are doing it yeah. and you're like, oh, that person's getting good. 
If you see somebody getting good, well, that's going to inspire you to work a little bit harder. And it should, yeah. Right. And if you don't have that school, you know, atmosphere, who does that to themselves? Who puts themselves through that every day? So school is good for that. It's good for meeting people. It's good for learning. I mean, I learned about so many artists from the past because when I went into Mm -hmm. school, I'd known Georgia O'Keeffe, I'd known Mm -hmm. Picasso, Rembrandt, maybe Renoir, Monet. I mean, Mm -hmm. I didn't know. Those are like the people you might hear from TV, but I didn't, I'd never heard of Sargent before. I'd never heard of any of those other kind of Gilded Age or Mm -hmm. kind of artists that I love before. So that's. School introduces you to things, and then it's up to you sure. to take it to the next level. What do you feel like some of the more modern ateliers now are doing that? I mean, if you're talking about they're being more structured, more they strict. Really, well, okay. I mean, they <laughs> I have that I'm reputation get into a little trouble. bit. <laughs> What's because that? I said, I'm going to get into trouble because oh, no, no, no. You know, we always just tell people, I hate to say it, like not to, it's, it's hard. <laughs> like, there are a couple places that are good for that structure maybe go for six months maybe a year but yeah. they can, they can be really limiting because mm-hmm. like when i teach now, I some don't are want, online now too well yeah no that's good yeah. i mean but i mean yeah. when i teach i don't want people or i don't dictate to people to draw exactly like me it's i i don't want clones like i don't want right. 50 clones and I know that sometimes atelier schools are very strict about a look and about a yeah. process. And you it can, can usually tell if somebody yeah. went to an atelier. I mean, yeah. So it just depends on are you able to kind of take that knowledge, that basis, and yeah. then kind of work from that and grow from it. Because I personally, you know, I don't, I don't want to do the stuff that they do. I don't want to work yeah. on a piece for three or four months, and I don't want to. <laughs> only think that you have to work from life you know because there is like i mean i don't know about colored pencil well, i mean do they do they do that i, I mean um uh, i guess we can't talk for every atelier but i mean right i know that's a that is a, a traditional thing in in sight size uh, drawing and but I, I thought that uh sometimes you know um using photo references is okay uh yeah, maybe I'm maybe i'm wrong i mean it's like Huh? I mean, Scott and I, we profess that, and we're probably one of the most vocal fine artists out there about that. Most fine artists that do work from photos shy away from it, talking about it, or like maybe. Yeah, Yeah, like it's some kind of sin or something. Like they just can't even mention it, or using Photoshop or anything. It's like they can't even talk about that. I I don't know. Um, so, okay. So that's interesting. So let's, let's talk then. Let's go down in the weeds just a little bit then, if you don't mind. And let's talk then about how long do you spend on like a painting? Or did you do more painting than drawing? I mean, well, I think, um, yeah, for uh, in the beginning, okay. I mainly did painting. I had a very hard time drawing because I just didn't like my drawings. And I think I was introduced to drawing through like charcoal and charcoal pencil. And I never got the hang of it. I never got the technique of it. Um, and so I, I just never liked it. Okay. My that drawings. cracks me up, but okay. That's, well, that's I, yeah, I mean, I didn't like the paper. I couldn't like, I'm like most people like, oh, I charcoal's messy. I paper and the charcoal's not working. It's falling. When off. I look at your work though, I, I would never guess that. I mean, it's, it's aspire. We aspire to draw in that that style, the the way that you're able oh. to handle the medium oh, of charcoal sweet. and Conte well, pencil. I learned how to do that. it over time, it's, and I mean, and I've kind of mentioned this before that I went like a lot of people. Like life is not all straight up. Like in art, right. you have peaks and then you have plateaus and then dumps and then ups and downs. And so, yeah, there was a time about. I mean, I'm going to say about. 14, 15 years ago, where um, I'm 51. So that, you know, my late mid to late thirties. And I just, I got into really sick. I like, mm. you hear this over and over and over again, people like have these like weird illnesses or life like shuts you down completely because you, maybe you're going in the wrong direction. And mm. I just got mm-hmm. this weird illnesses where I just had no energy. I couldn't work. I was going to doctors all the time. And I started to draw oh more because uh-huh. I couldn't even get to my studio. So for me, it was like, okay, I'm watching TV all the time. Well, maybe if I just sit on my couch 
And maybe if I just, you know, take a pastel pencil and mm-hmm. just work like drawing just in my seat, you know, and just work from mm-hmm. a photo. And, and that's how I got back into drawing and liking it because I just didn't have the energy to do anything else. And I just started to practice with different papers. I, I know we talked a little bit about, you know, the different, I love to touch my stuff. And so it's almost bad. I have to stop myself from like rubbing, but I got into <laughs> pastel pencil because it was so soft. Um, yeah. And so it was just that ability to kind of rub and rub and feel it and then make it look like an old fashioned photograph. And that's really yeah. what I was so attracted to. I was, I loved collecting books of photographers from a hundred years ago, all those CPO, CPO, CPO. And so you were, you were real inspired by just that, that old photography Mm -hmm. uh, style that, Oh, that's so interesting that, Hmm. Okay. I'll look (laughs) at your work in a different light when I, when I'm looking now and thinking about that. That, uh, I mean, did you ever get to the bottom of what the illness was? Well, I think it's um, just, you know, your body crashes or maybe you get a virus uh, or maybe there's something. And then slowly over time, like most people, yeah. your body heals or you get on a medication yeah. that helps. Or And so that's just right. what happened to me is like slowly over time, I just got better. Um, but well, I did. What, what, what happened was which was kind of interesting was during that time, literally at that time. Now, up until, so I had been an artist pretty much since college up until say around 37, uh-huh. just supporting, being a supporting system to Scott. So he was hmm. always in the limelight and I was the one that would tag along or, you know, maybe a gallery would ask me for work or this or that. Mm-hmm. You know, I was selling things, but really cheaply and we could not have lived You're- off of that income. I got you. Your husband, Scott Burdick, yeah. for those that are listening and may not know. Okay, good deal. Yeah. And right, so, so what happened ahead. was like during that time that I was only doing drawing and only mm-hmm. kind of just sitting in my living room, I had done this one drawing from a photograph that we had taken of a little girl. And I don't even remember the, the steps, but I think I might have sent it in to a, either a magazine contest or one of those things, you know, where, you know, 50 people get chosen or I can't even remember. Somehow I think picture of my little pastel got put in a magazine somewhere. And because of that, only because of that, a lady had reached out to, well, they had started, I don't know if you ever heard of those like conferences called Weekend with the Masters. They were like years ago. They were like Mm -hmm. the first big conferences like that. And they wanted to start one and they asked Scott to do it. And then they said, Oh, we want Susan to do it too. And I just was like, I'm on my couch, sick, you know, like, Oh, there's no way I'd never taught before. I had never demoed before ever. I'm like, I'm not that person that puts myself out there. And I mid thirties. That's when yeah, about 37. Yeah. And, um, okay. and so I remember telling Scott, cause I couldn't even talk to her on the phone. I remember telling her, I said, I, you know, this is, you know, she doesn't have to ask me, you know, I get that she's being polite and we're artist couple. But, <laughs> and Scott was like, no, no, she saw your drawing and she really want, she just would love for you to teach drawing. And I was like, no way. I, and it was with David LaFell and Jeremy Lipkin and Scott Christensen oh, wow. and Dan Gearhart's and Scott yeah. and Mary White. And like, they had about 12 to 15 artists like that. And me, yeah, right. I'm like, there's no way. I'm like, this yeah. is a joke. Well, anyways, so I said, I said, no, I'll I'll teach quick sketch or something, which I really thought I'm sabotaging myself. And they're going to say, no, well, we really don't want that. Could you teach something else? And then I'll be like, oh, I just don't feel comfortable. And then it would be like, great. They said, no, I tried. You know, it was like this idea that I would half heartedly do something, but they're going to say no. So I could sabotage it. But she's like, that sounds great. And I was like, holy moly. And I even told Scott please tell them that I have these issues and I don't even know if I can do it. And so he told her and she was extremely sympathetic and said her sister was going through the same thing. So that's why I'm saying it's so common. Uh, Yeah. And it all worked out anyways. So from that moment, people thought I was this drawer and didn't even know I did oil painting. And I'm like, Wow, just from well, that was, drawing. <laughs> <laughs> that's so interesting. I mean, because that's my first exposure to you. I just saw your name uh, next to your drawing, like on uh, the front of a Strathmore mm-hmm. pad, I'm sure. Yeah, that's, that's And I thought, 
who is this Susan Lyon? You know, and I thought that oh, is amazing. And um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, until I started looking, you know, you up and finding out more about you. Um, and I had really high hopes that you were a colored pencil artist oh. also. But I'm well, just, I, <laughs> I got I to razz you a little bit about that. Yeah. So let's talk about that for a second. Um, yeah. So you've never really used colored pencil, like no. wax-based and oil-based colored pencil? I've never used it. The only kind of things I've done is just use maybe hard pastel pencil as a crosshatch type of thing. That's what they did teach us in school a little bit. Yeah. They didn't teach totally us different blend. though. That's right. Totally well, different. Yeah. putting things on top of it without, you know, kind of letting the colors blend together. But yeah, I yeah. have never tried color pencil. Um, but I am. But you like to feel it. You like to. Well, do you use a dry brush or anything like that? Do you ever use a dry brush or do any of that no, with uh, no. pastels? Oh, well, oh, sure. Oh, yeah. Like an actual okay, brush. Okay. So, yeah. yeah so, um, this is this is what I recommend. Get some sanded paper or okay. pastel mat. And buy polychromos pencils and uh, use those and then use a stiff bristled brush, like a oh, fix-it brush that or something. Blends it together. And it will it will uh, give you that smeary kind of look. Yeah, yeah. And so are these it's, special it's a lot of fun, pencils? Actually. Like these are your favorite ones? Uh, polychromos are an oil-based pencil from okay. Faber-Castell. They're really good. Uh, but I, I think coming from a pastel kind of feel, then mm -hmm. that would be the closest oh, uh, out of all the wax and oil based pencils. Yeah. I think okay. you might, you might just really love it if you tried that. No, I mean, <laughs> but you I, can I, also I use new things. So yeah, that'd be great. You can also try uh, using OMS, you know, some type of, of uh, mineral spirit with it right. as well. And that will smear it around a little bit. That sounds fun. So. <laughs> I'll have to check back in and see if you actually did I know. it. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I'll give you a year. <laughs> uh, so, but let's talk then about teaching in particular since the pandemic, right? Um, I go out and I, I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to vet and find artists to come on the show. And I look around and artists that I've looked up several years ago or maybe even a year ago, um, not doing a whole lot online. Now they're teaching workshops online. Mm -hmm. Now they're on Patreon. Now they're doing all kinds of things online. And it makes sense, right? I mean, we've all been kind of forced into that. So you started a Patreon channel. Yeah, I started last April. So it's almost a year. Okay. And I literally just started without knowing anything. I'd had a friend tell me about Patreon because she had said, oh, I got a gift for another art friend, this Patreon subscription for three months. And I said, Patreon, mm. you know, I knew <laughs> nothing. Um, it there, you know what I it's, you do need to know some technical stuff. So if I did not yeah. have Scott, I don't think I possibly could have done it. I might've mm. been able to do it through YouTube or maybe through Vimeo or some other way, but Patreon, you do need to like there. I had so many mistakes. Yeah. I did everything wrong. You know, at first I was just filming myself with my phone and then trying to yeah. trans, you know, and edit. And I, it's so there are things you do need to know about it. Um, right. so, so how I do it is I offer instructional videos. So Scott and I both like film ourselves doing drawings, oil paintings, pastels, all different kinds of stuff. And mm -hmm. we work from life and we work from photos. And then we edit these videos and put them into sort of like an instructional thing. But we also do photography and we also do Photoshop videos. And I also do spotlights on people or like books I love. And we mm -hmm. also started to do some kind of pop-up live streams where it's just, okay, see, you know, how do Scott and I do a photo shoot with a model? So I'll just mm -hmm. put the computer up and just live stream it so that people can just Almost like be like a fly on the wall. Go, oh, right, oh right. Well, isn't that interesting how they do that? So I'm still learning, but it is, it's, I find it really exciting. And mm -hmm. I've met so many people. And I also do um, like mentoring through it also. I, um, so for like a certain fee once a month, I meet people through Zoom and sometimes I'm just critiquing their work. But yeah. then also there's, certain people that I literally give assignments to. And then, you know, because uh -huh. they need more structure. And so right, right. once a month or more, you know, we'll meet and 
we'll talk about it. And I, I can work mm-hmm. on their stuff in Photoshop and through layers and kind of show them right. the things that right. I would change. And I, I loved it. Oh my gosh. I do it from people all over the world. And if it's I so rewarding, forced, isn't it? Yes. If I wasn't yeah. forced to do Patreon, I wouldn't have all these art pen pals now. And <laughs> right. so I, I feel like things opened up a lot for me. And Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so cool. So I start, I, I'm not on Patreon, but I started uh, my own online community uh, called Monthly Sharpener. And I did that right before the pandemic, but it's going wow. really well. But I, I have to tell you, I, I could tell just by the enthusiasm you, you're talking with that uh, this is very meaningful for you and mm-hmm. it's fulfilling. And that's the way I feel about it. I mean, and the art mentoring in particular is something that I just love to do. Um. How important do you feel like uh, having a mentor is? Oh, my gosh. Incredibly important. In fact, what really got me into wanting to do all this was I had wished that when I was starting out, I had wished I'd had a mentor. I mean, people probably think that, oh, well, you had Scott. And true, I did get to see somebody doing it. But Scott and I have different personalities. And he paints so differently than me. And Mm -hmm. I learned very, very early on that he is not a good critiquer for me. Um, You know, for him, he it was always like, well, just make it thicker or do this or put this there. And I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, well, that's not me, you know. Mm -hmm. And and so we just our dynamic has never been like a lot of you see it. Husbands and wives, Mm -hmm. their work starts to look very similar. And yeah. I mean, I wish I could paint like Scott if I wanted to, but it just doesn't come through me like that. So I had to really, well, I just get back to that question is that when I was in my early 20s, I wish that I had had more availability, you know, like we have now online, and especially to yeah. see more women as role models, because I could name maybe two or three women when I was young, that actually mm. I could have remembered that we're like making a living or that I even knew of. It, it's just maybe my small world that, you know, I was like, and I, they were so much older than me too. So I guess that's also, I just want more. I, there are so many great women now. I yeah. want it to be so commonplace that, and I want that idea that, you know, when you go into an art show, it's not 90 men and 10 women. I want to like balance it out more. I want to talk more about it and show more about. So yeah, that's- it's, that's so interesting. I mean, I, um, and maybe colored pencil is an anomaly within mediums or something because it seems like it's dominated by women. Huh. Uh, there's only a few men that I, that I yeah. know of, you know, that are in colored pencil, but I don't, maybe it's this medium. I have no idea. That's yeah. so interesting. It's, well, I think I, you and I have I such the different experiences. Changing. I love it because, um, you know, we only know what we know, right? And even right. like I've been in art for, what, 30 years. I still like the the artists that I know are just the ones that are in the shows that I'm in. I'm not familiar yeah. with, you know, different genres or different even sections of the country. So yeah, so many out there, so many subcultures. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's That's so interesting. Just a reminder that the Color Pencil Podcast is brought to you by UART Premium Sanded Paper. If you've never tried sanded paper before, I highly recommend UART. There are so many different advantages to using a sanded paper, such as using lighter pencils like white over dark areas. That's just one of the advantages. So that flexibility allows you to keep on layering over and over again. If you've never tried sanded paper before, go over to the show notes and click on the link to get your first batch of UART Premium Sanded Paper. And we thank UART for their support of the Color Pencil Podcast. We also thank Amazon Music Unlimited for their support of the podcast. If you're looking for a new music streaming service, Amazon Music Unlimited will be perfect. It features 70 million songs and thousands of expert programmed playlists and stations, all available ad-free. Enjoy your 30-day free trial when you go to getamazonmusic.com sharp. 
So I have a community out there, like I mentioned, Monthly Sharpener, and I threw out some uh, information, just said, you know, I'm going to be talking to Susan Lyon. And if you've got a question for her, go ahead and ask that. And one of the questions was this. This person was looking at your website. Her name is Oksana, an amazing artist in her own right. And she said that she loves the dramatic sense of light and dark on your pieces. She says, how do you achieve this in your paintings? Would love any suggestions on how to lift up your art in this way. Oh, that is a great question about lighting and yeah. about what to edit, how, what to think about when you are drawing. Because a lot of times when I'm critiquing people, what happens is people, we're, we're attracted to, you know, when we see a photograph or we see light hitting a model, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, it's so theatrical. It's so, mm -hmm. you know, dramatic that right. we want to capture that. And then what happens is when they're drawing, they tend to forget that the reason why they love that lighting is because it's, it's pretty extreme. It's yeah. contrasty. And so yeah. what happens is people tend to forget. So when I was in school and what I was taught was to draw or paint what you see when you squint. Now, I know that sounds to some people that might be completely new, but what squinting is to us is it's sort of like you just kind of slightly close. You're not like, hold, you know, pushing your eyelids together. It's like you're literally just almost looking through your eyelashes. So you just tilt mm -hmm. your head back a little. And so what happens is details disappear and mm -hmm. larger shapes of light and dark show up. And in a way, you're, you're wanting to paint what you see when you squint. So if you don't see detail, especially in the shadow. So you were mentioning mm. that drawing that I did of the Strathmore um, pad, and that was yeah. an extreme example of it because, yeah. you know, the photograph, I put a strong light on her, and but everything from her cheek shadow back through her ear, in her hair, all the way into the background was like one solid value. And mm. that- Yeah, 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 it was. So that's something that I tend to exaggerate or push or look for or is like it, a little voice in my head, what can I leave out? What can I leave out? Where do I want people to look? And so, you know, as an artist, we lead people to a focus, a center of attention. Yeah. And then yeah, like right. peripheral, everything that's away from it or the, you know, bullseye effect away from right, that right. will be out of focus, will be less than, will be not as colorful or as contrasty. And so those are the things is that if you are attracted to that strong light, I tell people and I suggest, you know, play this game. So you like, say you have a photograph, what you can literally do is print it out. You know, a lot of people work from monitors, but you can like print it out on your typing paper and really put numbers. I, you know, I'll go through values where one being my highlight, 10 mm -hmm. being my darkest accent. And so those two things are small. They are mm -hmm. in one spot. So your high, biggest, highest highlight and your darkest accent, 10. Mm -hmm. So everything is an accordion in between. And so you're not going to have ones everywhere. And you're not going to have right. one in the forehead and the chin because there's a hierarchy of light. Right, and right. So, and the accent is just that part where it shows weight. So accents usually are things where something is hitting. or And, and the darkest accents are always closest to you. So mm -hmm. even within a still life, even within a person, you know, you don't have your darkest accents behind the model because you mm -hmm. want to show, you want to show atmosphere. So those mm -hmm. are things as we learn value and we practice and it just, it, we start to learn it deeper and deeper and deeper. And so for me, like that drawing on the cover of the Strathmore, I'm in my mind saying, okay, I'm going to keep my lights very clean not have a lot of half tone or middle value mm -hmm. creep in there to kind of muddy it. And mm -hmm. then all my shadows are going to be solid. They're going to be massed in, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be 10. It could mm -hmm. mean that they're an eight, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. but if the whole thing is an eight. So nothing within that eight shape will be lighter than an eight. So those are the things that happen. That. People start to, only look at an ear. And if the ear is in shadow, our minds will start to play on us and play tricks and go, well, every, oh, I'm going to do, you know, one to 10 in the ear. 
I see too much detail. And so the idea is to always think, always keep telling yourself, no, I've put that ear in that shadow. So it has to stay in there. And I'm only hinting at a, a shape um, that hints at it being an ear, but doesn't mm-hmm. make the viewer go in there and, you know, give too much detail. I love that. I love that a lot. Um, you packed so much information in like 30 seconds right there. That was amazing. Uh, you really did. So, I mean, when we could talk about each of those little components that you hit on, but that's so amazing. Uh, this is probably some of the uh, teaching that you do on your Patreon channel. What I love about that is, uh, and I see this clearly in your work, anyone that, that looks at your work can see this very, it's very obvious that you have that sense of atmosphere. And I think that there's a great importance on, um, you know, making everything an eight, like you put it, uh, rather than in the in the background there uh, and creating that atmosphere rather than going directly to 10 and saying, no, this is dark over here. And it, there seems to be like this tendency in colored pencil to just render everything with mm-hmm. clean lines and to have everything just uh, rendered out from a 10 to a, a, to a one in even the shadows. Sometimes I hate to say, but I mean, it's just this strict photorealism that, uh, mm-hmm. that we're seeing and hyperrealism that we're seeing. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think whenever we're talking about mood and creating that dramatic sense of where the light is, this is what's important is understanding where you want that resting spot in the composition whenever you're doing your portraits. So most of my uh, students are portrait uh, artists. And uh, so that's a lot of things that we do is we focus a lot on portraiture. Um, But you draw a lot of different subjects as well. But I'm very, very drawn, obviously, to portraits and your portrait work. And there is a lot of, you know, this dramatic sense of lighting. You spoke to that a little bit, but there's also like this... uh, sort of this aura sometimes that, that I've seen with with the light. How, what would you say to somebody who is in colored pencil? They're getting down like this, you know, and they're just uh, trying to do every little tiny, tiny detail. How how do you help someone to loosen up? What What can you say to that person that is having trouble with understanding how to do that? You know, just like... You know, we talked about squinting the eyes, but is there anything else you could say? Like, how do you get away from just all those details? That's also one of the main things that people want. They want to know, how do I loosen up? Well, it's, you know. I still have it look like compelling art. I mean, great art uh, is something that moves you, right? So, You know, that is something that we have to understand that. I know I paint or draw differently if I know that I have all the time in the world. So if I like put the pressure on myself to go, you know what, (laughs) this piece has to turn out. This is going nice and it's going to have a frame on it. I, the energy that I approach that piece is different. Mm. I start to become tentative. Everything is precious. I overthink everything. There's a nervousness to the artwork and I slow down. Now, so whenever that starts to happen to me, I go, you know what, this is not, this is not comfortable. I don't, there's a difference between being slow and focused, but being this like anxiety or like, I got to like, you know, I I have to do everything. It's got to be perfect. I can't deviate. There's no, I can't deviate from the photo. So what I tell people is first, I tend to work in um, from black and white. Now, when I have a reference, I have like a big monitor and I will put a, the color version on. I know, in my mind, I know that the color photograph is lying to me. Colors mm-hmm. might be to this or that. The contrast might be too strong. I have right. to understand that whole idea about atmosphere. So, you know, if something's turned black and I want to show uh, finesse, then I have to realize, okay, I can't just make that totally black and solid. I have to understand that yeah. things have to be a little bit of transparency. Okay. Right, right. Now I'll have it in color. I'll have a black and white version. And then I also tell people to play around and work with posterizing because. Mm. Oh, I do that too. I talk a lot about that. I tell people that that it's not that you draw or paint the posterized version. No. But it's a teaching tool. It's that. Yeah. 
person, that little voice in the back of your head that halfway through every 20 minutes or whatever, you start to say, did I look into that shadow too much? Did Mm -hmm. I separate my lights and darks? Did I, you know, the the posterizer is giving you this computerized, non-emotional, very basic planes, planes and shape puzzle pieces. And so it just helps you reinforce those ideas of shape instead of object. And so those are the things I also do. I turn my work upside down all the time because my brain tricks me. But mm-hmm. a major thing I do if I feel like I'm getting too tight is I think that people need to do a lot of gesture, quick timed pieces. And what they have to tell themselves is, am I a student or do I feel it's more important to produce? Because if you think mm. every single thing you need to, every single thing you touch is turns into gold, well, then you'll never be able to do this. And right. I mean, 80%, my, my studio here, I'm constantly doing little tiny paintings, little color studies. Maybe they'll come out, maybe they're not, but I always go into them thinking that this is an exercise for me to study light. And 80% of the mm. things that I touch never leave the studio. Uh, tons and tons of little. I love that. Pieces. And it's like so, that 80-20 rule. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, maybe 15% of the 100 yeah. come out to a, an extent to where I can sell to students, you know, as Very little cool. demos or things. And then 5% is what I, I will put say. my mind. And so mm. I need to do that because if I feel that everything I do needs to leave and like has to be the best thing it could possibly be, it, yeah. like, I, it will just stifle my creativity and stifle my growth so i Mm. love doing timed things now that is super important now what i mean by that is uh i'll say i'll get a a little face photograph or something Mm -hmm. and i'll go you know what i'm gonna pre-mix a few limited values like maybe just brown and blue just you know a light medium dark and have everything prepared and i will say put my picture up put my little canvas up and go Okay, I, I thought about it. I got everything pre-mixed. And I'm going to set a timer and paint this painting in an hour. So just an hour. What that does is it changes mm-hmm. the energy, your mind, to think mm-hmm. large, big, important, and yeah. not detailed precision. You know, right. I don't care if it looks exactly like this person. It's all about doing my big brush strokes, leaving a stroke, leaving a stroke, getting these big shapes, getting the right value. And if I don't say it just really isn't that great. What I'll mm-hmm. do is, what did I learn from this? Maybe I started off bad. Maybe I started mm-hmm. off to this or to that. And so I'll go, you know what, I'm going to do it again. And so literally do the same photograph, set another timer for an hour and do it mm-hmm. again, and then change the things that I didn't like from the first one. And mm-hmm. that helps so much. And you can do it with colored pencil, a little charcoal or anything. Yeah. But the idea is, and you have to, you have to know this going into it, that it's not the idea that you just finish this in an hour and then go, well, you know what? I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix it and then spend another 15 hours fixing it. The idea Mm -hmm. is that after the hour, you lift your brush up and you go, that's what I did. Now let me keep trying to get that energy, but keep Mm -hmm. just doing bunches and bunches and bunches. And sooner or later, they will turn out with such a freshness and such hmm. a gestural energy about it because hmm. you've had to leave so much out. So you're you're working within that time constraint and that forces that energy, I guess, right. to be in that space. That is so fascinating. I love this. I love that a lot. You know that colored pencil is uh, one of the slowest mediums out there, right? Well, does it have to be? I mean, can't I you? don't know. I don't know. Does it not? I mean, maybe, no. maybe not. Maybe it doesn't have to be. That, that's uh you know that's maybe a uh, a myth that uh, that we should uh, you know try to uh debunk i guess but it has that reputation as just being mm-hmm. very very slow and i think because it also lends itself to that precision that little tiny point of the pencil that i think that's what plagues a lot of artists colored pencil artists is they're like well i got to get in here with the details i can do it so easily with this pencil you know, rather right. than something right. like a large brush stroke, that kind right. of thing. But forcing ourselves to fit within a time constraint, I think, would probably 
create that sense of urgency. And then we're looking for what is important rather than trying to yeah. fit in all the details. I mean, yeah. it's, I've seen these quotes from so many other artists, but so a lot of it is what do you leave out? Yeah. What yeah. Do you leave yeah. out? And that is that, you know, you don't know that the first time. And it is something <laughs> no. it's like, it's like, a, you know, trial and error. But you was the first 100 times. Right. So you start to realize, okay, what can I leave out? What can I leave out? Yeah. And the, my favorite paintings are those that you yeah. realize that they said just enough. And yeah, it's like Yeah, mine example. too. Yeah. 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 Well, the ones with uh, that uh, sense of, of um, the uh, just atmosphere and mm-hmm. uh, being able to clearly focus on what was important. I mean, it's just obvious when you see that. Um, but yeah, trying to translate that and put that into your own work, I think that becomes one of the big challenges for sure. Okay. Wow. I cannot believe we've been going this long. It doesn't even feel like it. So Rick, if Rick is on here, if you can hear me, <laughs> this, is, this feels so weird because I've never done this before. Rick, if you can hear me, uh, and if you have a question, you can type your question over there in the chat room. That would be awesome if you got a question for Susan today. Um, so remember, Susan, Polychromos by Faber Castell. You know what? I want to get a pen. <laughs> a sanded so, paper. Okay. Okay. You know what? I'm you just teasing that. with you. No, no, no. I, I, hey, you know what? I love a challenge. <laughs> it was interesting. This Canson, you know, Canson paper, like out of the yeah. blue, I'd say maybe three or four months ago, all of a sudden I got this package. I don't even like, I'm not a sponsor. For, I mean, I don't promote Canson paper, but oh, um, all of a sudden it? sent me all these sheets of paper and like wanted to know, like, you know, would I practice on them? And mm. I was like, oh, okay. And some of the papers I liked, <laughs> some of them I didn't. Yeah. And I told them and, and even some of them, they like, they sent me a black paper, but you know what? Mm, I, really work, I mean, there's a pot of pastelis, right? That work on very yeah. dark paper. Right. It, I, it doesn't come natural to me because I've trained myself to think shadow, put shadow down. And so yeah. I had to work the opposite. And I had to like start doing the like the positive over the negative. And I think that makes your brain stay young. So that's why I'm not against like all of a sudden going, you yeah. know what? I've never done that, but who knows? Maybe. Okay. So tell me those pencils. I would again. love to see that. Yeah. Uh, it's called polychromos. Polychromos. Um, yeah, you want me to spell that? Uh, yeah. So polychromos. So what's the M M O at the end? M O S? Uh M O U S, I believe. Let me okay, look here. M-O-U-S. And can I get those? Oh from- no, I'm wrong. Okay. Oh. Poly, I mean I'm new here. Poly and then C H R O M O S. So P O L Y and then Chromos. Yeah. Okay, sounds good. And can where do you buy those? Oh and- Blick. You can get okay, them on well. Blick.com. Yep, yep. So those are some of the best that uh, I really love those. Uh, the Luminance pencils by Karen Dosh are another real good pencil. Oh, spell that again, Luminos? Luminance. And oh, they are, yeah, let me grab one here. They are, um, they're all light fast. Um, most of the polychromos are light fast as well. Uh, L-U-M-I-N-A-N-C-E. Oh, Luminance. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so, by, uh, Karen and Dush. those are similar. They act similar. So, uh, the polychromos are oil based and okay. the luminance are wax based. Oh. So you're probably familiar with, uh, Prismacolor Premier wax based right. pencils, right? Okay. So, uh, think of the luminance pencils as like the Cadillac version of what you know, the oh. poly, poly, or the uh, Prismacolor Premier pencils are. What's that? How do you blend the luminance with a brush? You really can't blend those very yeah. much uh, dry. You have to use an OMS for that, an odorless mineral spirit, you know. Oh, okay. So uh, you use odorless mineral spirits for both of these brands. I like um, Gamsel by Gamble. Yeah, yeah. There's no, others. Yeah, yeah. I'm just trying yeah. to think that like, okay, but the polychromos, you said mm-hmm. that you use like a bristle brush. And then if you really yeah. want to kind of like play around, see, to me, that sounds pretty fantabulous. And there's all these cool <laughs> papers now, like the arches yeah. oil paper. There's all right. these great papers that you can work on. And so also Scott, 
Now he's been doing a lot of works on paper recently. And for him, like, I don't mind um, framing my work under like a uh, non-glare museum plexiglass. Oh, right. Scott hates it. So what he does is he literally varnishes. He sprays all of his watercolors, his charcoals or anything that's on paper. He just sprays them with uh, crystal clear or work- workable fixative. And then he puts a, a final coat, literally mm-hmm. like a final coat mm-hmm. of varnish so that he mm. can frame them like oils. And then we had talked a little bit about the, um, uh, the what's it called? You know, where the stigma of, of paper. You know, yeah, what, yeah. And- yeah, I wanted to talk to you more about that today as well. Uh, because, I mean, that's one of the, the big challenges, right, yeah. with There's colored no pencil. Yeah, you know, having to frame or them. Or charcoal or anything. You know, yeah. People have to, it's more expensive sometimes to actually frame things you know, you have to get the non-glare UV plexi museum glass and then the frame and and shipping mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And there's always an issue with galleries and museums, how they're going to light it. You know, people right, right. don't like hanging things and then having a window glare on it. So there's always that right. stuff. But right. that's why, you know, and I've had, I remember years and years ago, I told you when I was first starting to draw. So for probably about a year or two, all I did was drawings and that's all I had. And maybe p- galleries had remembered some of the oils that I had done before and they wanted a piece. And I said, oh, well, I have his drawings now. And mm-hmm. so I'd, I'd get a gallery be like, well, we're not that interested. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, that's all I have. So too bad. And But I did find that people loved the drawings. And now all of a sudden, I do think that there is this resurgence of people yeah. loving the, the look, the feel of works on yeah. paper. It but seems just, like it, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, we just have to like figure out how to give it the respect. You know, how right, do you right. make it so that people, I think in a way, people feel that, oh, maybe it's too fragile or maybe it's not going to last as it's long. It's not archival or something. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. in a way, that's what Scott is kind of working around. If he treats it like yeah. an oil, then it right, feels right. And looks like an oil. And then people think that it's not fragile. So he prices yeah. them almost the same as if it was an oil maybe it's a little bit less but um i just feel like we need to like show that no works on paper are just as precious and wonderful and um mm-hmm. yeah there is a question coming in here um okay. asking um let's see here did you say susan did a strathmore cover that's one question yes she did she talked a little bit about that and the then are there light go ahead susan sorry I was just going to say, um, the cover that I'm on is the pastel paper. And I don't think actually, okay. to be honest with you, it's their most popular. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> I mean, it's not in all the stores. And when they sent it to me, I was like, oh, it's not, it's, you know, <laughs> I like working on thicker papers. And, um, oh, yeah. um, so it was fine, but, but it was a thinner paper than what yeah, anyway, had, had some choose. bumps to it. Uh, but yeah. I don't see it in all the stores. And Scott's <laughs> has two. He works on their tone. So there's like a warm uh, and a gray. And those are uh-huh. a lot more popular. And you will see his drawings on those pads in like every store. And you won't see mine as much. But mine is a pastel of a young um, black girl, like uh-huh. profile three quarter. And it's yeah. very moody. So you really yeah, just I remember that one. like yeah. a rim light. So you have just a small yeah. light down the front of her face. And then all of her ponytail in her hair kind of disappears. Yeah. It's amazing. It's so amazing, though. Um, so then uh, next question is, uh, are there light fast concerns with oil painting? Can they hang in sunlight without losing color? Well, I, you know, I don't think anybody wants to hang an a, uh, oil painting in sunlight. Yeah, that's um, not a good, good option. <laughs> it's not a good option. But that's why, do that. <laughs> you know, you varnish paintings to protect yeah. them. And there's right. like really great archival varnishes. You know, there's yeah. good, there's better varnishes than others. So those are the things too you want to look for is that the yeah. highest quality and places like Gamblin and some other conservatory places mm-hmm. will have varnishes that will actually help, you know, the oil paint. And I love this. If we can start treating paper with the same yeah. respect as you alluded to, uh, maybe this will turn the tide, uh, start to turn the tide just a little bit in a yeah. different direction towards drawings as being uh, as respectable as some of the other more traditional mediums. Love it. Okay. So big question then for you, Susan, what, what is the challenge other than what we talked about 
with regard to uh, works on paper. What are the challenges with colored pencil? This is like a, an underdog medium. It's a smaller medium. It's less well-known. There's a lot of misconceptions about it. A lot of people don't know that there are light, fast pencils. They think every colored pencil is fugitive and that sort of thing, but that's not the case. There are professional-grade colored pencils um, from many companies now. But what what are the challenges? Gosh, you know, it's, I don't know if I'm the right person to ask, but... I mean, I was never introduced to it. Um, I, so I think that's important. So you are the ambassador. You are introducing it to me, which then opens my eyes. So I think it is just talking about it more. Possibly, you know, like you had mentioned, there's this niche or perception mm -hmm. that if you work in color pencil, you have to be almost photorealistic. And yeah. so that's going to lend itself to a certain group of people. And I'm not fully in that world. Mm -hmm. So to me, I guess, you know, the world I'm in is more of a, like a painterly kind of uh, approach or something. Mm -hmm. So if there were some colored pencil artists that could break away from that and maybe be yeah. a little more experimental and a little more, right. what I would say, painterly, meaning thinking of yeah. more value than detail, then right, you right. know what will happen. And especially something like these polychromos that are oil-based, like you said, mm -hmm. I almost, I don't think there's a limitation, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and when I work with um, any sort of pastel or charcoal pencils, I always have a very long spear. And so I'm using the side. I don't use the point. And yeah. a lot of times I actually break those off and I start to use those as a brush. So it's yeah. like I'm, I'm putting it directly on the paper as a right. horizontal medium. And so I'm wondering if it would be interesting, like if people wanted to experiment with these little timed things, even if it was 15 minutes or 20 minutes, mm -hmm. have mm -hmm. a bunch of little papers and just say, I'm going to experiment with trying to do these little portraits with the side of my, like mm -hmm. a broken piece. And maybe. Mm -hmm using mineral spirits or having some even kind of wash on a board and just kind of playing with it and then yeah. letting it dry and then maybe going over it with something else and yeah, getting board isn't a bad it. idea. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So I, I but oh, I like that. Those are some very creative ideas. And, uh, because on cotton paper, you mm -hmm. would have uh, very dismal results, I'm afraid, right. if you tried to use the side of the pencil, uh, because it's just such a hard lead compared to, right. Uh, like charcoal or even graphite, um, so most graphite, or... quick, like a like a very hot press or a slick board. Yeah, so what... maybe a board if there if there's something. So sanded paper, any kind of like non-absorbent surface, sanded mm -hmm. paper, uh, pastel mat, things like that. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, just to name a couple. There are there's some advantages with that because then you can press a little bit harder and uh, you will get it to adhere to the surface. So I want to ask a question though, because yeah. I have bought and never really used. And see, there you go. I buy things and sometimes I don't use them. I have actual pencils that, that are so called <laughs> like watercolor pencils. Now, is there yeah. any kind of energies that are similar where, you know, you do the watercolor pencil and then if they're, you put water on it, it kind of blends. Now, would yeah. that kind of work with the oil ones too a little bit? Yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, it's very similar. I mean, you're okay. doing that, you know, if you're using uh, Gamsel, um, yeah. that would work with that, and okay. and it's a very similar kind of look. Yeah, definitely. Sure. Yeah. Well, and then you let that you know dry entirely, and you can go on yeah. top of that with more layers. I mean, that's usually what happens. So, I like that whole idea though about working more in values and thinking about. You know, getting monochrome. away from all that precision. Yeah, yeah like, monochrome. And I'm always yeah. telling people just first start off with one color and mm -hmm. then, you know, like a, like a dark brown or maybe a black mm -hmm. or some kind of just dark color and only think about value so that it's all about just like a more of a like a painting thought process. And then <laughs> just go so to fun. two colors, literally yeah. just sort of warm and cool. And it can be yeah. red and green. It can be, you yeah. know, pink and blue or, you know, brown and blue, brown and green. Just two colors. And That's usually the way I start that. in portraits. I start with a dark blue. I like um, the Conte of Paris pastel pencils, you know, yeah. long, long. Yeah. You know, and then right, you can, right. sometimes I would even interplay them with like the new pastel or any yeah. sort of hard, chalky little stick pastel. Because then you could right. literally use it like the side to mass in. But no, definitely 
I like Reeves um, print mini baking paper. I mm, like okay. papers that you can like really kind of rub and yeah, yeah. keep, you know, just layering and layering and layering. Right, um, right. And I just, I would work in just one, just like a dark maroon or a dark brown, yeah. just some, something that is, it's like, there's like some kind of, it's because we're dealing with people. I would stay away yeah. with like starting off with like a dark green or like, you know, something like right, that. Right, right. Something that's warm that looks human-like and just yeah, yeah. think about value and only think about like if it's a painting and just solidifying mm -hmm. your lights and solidifying your shadows. And, oh, yeah. and nice. just I would just literally do one color for a long time. Then what I did was I branched out to using a light and a dark version of that color. Mm. So I have mm -hmm. like a lighter version of like the maroon and a darker version of the maroon. So I can have a little bit of that vibrancy show through. And then, you know, maybe even a, a warm and a cool version of the brown. So it's, yeah. it's, it's like really slowly going into like, yeah, adding yeah. Stuff. but in re reality, it's all monotone. Right. Right. I love that though. That is uh, that's excellent advice. No matter what medium I think you're in to start out. Uh, because you're mastering the medium then while you're enhancing your skills as well as you develop and grow. So any parting words of advice that you would give to a brand new artist just starting oh, out? And it oh doesn't matter. I mean, like if they're in color pencil or anything, what would be your words of advice? Uh, there's a lot of people, you know, in our age range, we're both in our 50s that are just starting um in, in in art and starting to draw and they're wondering if they can do this what would you tell them well i do think online classes are excellent i really mm -hmm. really do first of all they're much more economical second yeah. of all you can take a class and be anonymous which i think yeah. a lot of people like that idea you know i've had a lot of people take my classes and and just do it to watch they yeah. maybe don't feel like they can like post or show me their homework yet but, you know, I tell people, if you want to join an online class, give an, uh, a false name. You know, seriously, <laughs> yeah. that is something. Yeah. Like, join a Facebook, you know, like, whatever. And just I have give them come through my courses all the time with with funny names sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> that way you can And you know it's made up, so. Because yeah. you then don't feel as tied to it. And I understand right, right. that idea oh, of too. <laughs> never being good enough. Oh, like, oh, my God, I did yeah. a homework, but it's not good enough, and I'm too embarrassed to show it. Yeah. So if nobody knows who you are, that's great. I just think, yeah. I think online classes are such a leveler because mm -hmm. in general, you know, and when I would teach in person and I would do a demo, well, yeah. what would happen is it was kind of like so fast and then the students would have to do it right after me and maybe they were doing a profile and I was doing a front on and it never seemed to be correlate to be almost exactly. Mm. But if mm -hmm. I'm working through a photograph and I'm asking you to work from the same photograph, right. it is so easy then to really see, oh, right, yeah. this is how they did it. And then when you have multiple people working on it, you really start to see, first of all, that we all do the yeah. same things. We all yeah. make the same mistakes. So we're, right. there's nobody who's like some alien. I mean, we all do it. So we can learn we together, yeah. be inspired by others. And then I you can start like these art people become great friends. Yeah. Either in person oh, yeah. or online, you meet right. people through Facebook and you start to like chat with them. And yeah. accountability, having art yeah. friends is the best way, I think, to stay at it. Because mm -hmm. otherwise, it's too hard for you as a, a, a lone island to just keep doing it if you don't get any feedback. Mm. Mm, I love that. Yeah. And it's interesting because you're teaching like this asynchronous kind of way you're putting it out there. They can, you know, go in there and explore all of that, but take their time and, and do that. And I think there's a lot of advantages to that, having a, a course or something that you can go through, um, you know, on your own time and at your own pace, as opposed to, okay, this is a zoom workshop. We're all showing up right here. Get this done. <laughs> I'm going to see your homework tomorrow. Yeah. There's some, uh, tension, I think that builds up inside of people when they, they feel like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta perform. Everyone else is performing. Yeah, no, but when it's your own thing, I love that. <laughs> yeah. You could go at your own pace. So good. Well, thanks, Susan. I really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on here and sharing all that you did. And, uh, 
Wow, you've you've uh, you've really given a lot in uh, just a you know the past hour, and uh, I'm sure that people will want to check out what you've got going on over there on Patreon. Um, as usual, guys, you can head on over to the show notes. All of the information that we talked about, all the links will be over there on the show notes page. And I will check back with Susan. I am going to hold her feet to the fire. <laughs> Sounds good. I am going to check back and see if you started something in colored pencil. No, I, I actually I wrote these down. I'm going to like look at the Dick Blick. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right, guys. If you uh, if you enjoy the show, uh, please consider giving a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. This podcast comes out once a week on Mondays at 3 a.m. And I will talk to you again next week. And until then, take care and stay sharp. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. All the show notes can be found at www.sharpenedartist.com.